Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Feeling a little rough. <laughs> Feeling a little rough. Why is so that, it is ben? Well, first off, to our audience, happy Chinese New Year. Today is Chinese New Year's Eve, which is actually the big celebration where there will be much food consumed, uh, much, much uh, other beverages of various types consumed, various games played. And uh, so we, I, I planned to wake up early this morning so we could you know, record and edit this so I could get to the festivities. But it's also the first day that the kids are off of school. Uh, or actually, my daughter's been off of school for a week. But first day my son was off school was off from uh, his preschool also. And like all people, apparently, where you've been going to school, going to school, the day you finish, you get sick. And so oh. he was he was sick last night. So I was up. I was up. I was up. Finally, I fall asleep. He falls asleep, and I wake up. And it is like ten minutes. So we're supposed to record. So, <laughs> so we we are going to have one of the all time Ben wakes up halfway through the episode episodes today i think uh well you know i've been guilty of that more than a few times when we've had to record in the morning too so i can sympathize and when you said you uh, when you said you were running late because of sleeping i assumed it was because you'd been popping bottles in anticipation of chinese new year and now i feel incredibly guilty for reaching that conclusion (laughs) no that's tonight that's tonight very good so 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 speaking of chinese new year uh just a heads up my family as we do every year will be taking a a little vacation so for sure, in two weeks, we will not record. Next week is very much up in the air because we're leaving actually late late Thursday night. We should record on Friday. So we're going to try to get one done, but we, but we might not. So just a heads up to folks. We are going to miss one or two of the following, of the following weeks. Got it. So you, you mentioned for Chinese New Year that it was food and alcohol. Um, my sister used to live in Beijing and my parents went up there for Chinese New Year one year and they said that it was like walking around the streets of Beijing at night was actually like walking through a war zone. Oh yeah, the firecrackers are out of control. It's, they, it's, yeah. they were running and they were like bangers, like whizzing past their ears and there are fire extinguishers on every corner. It sounds like quite an experience. Oh, it's yeah, it's it's pretty insane. I mean, because you, you're that's you're protecting yourself from the dragon. Like the sound scares away the New Year's dragon. It's um, I, I we probably should do a podcast about my articulating, uh, you know, Chinese myths. But yes, uh, no no dragons. Uh, and uh, speaking of dragons, oh, I have to say we 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 need to thank Mailchimp. Uh, yeah, we, we almost to, we, got it. We will get to the dragons in a moment. But uh, our thanks to MailChimp for sponsoring Exponent, as they do every week. MailChimp is a service that I use for Shachekri, and I'm happy to have them sponsoring. MailChimp does integrations with WordTrap from WordPress to Facebook to Shopify to Magento. Is it Magento or Magento? I don't know. I'm going to say Magento. MailChimp integrates with the apps and web services that you use every day. You can connect your MailChimp account with hundreds of powerful web services. When you sync the applications used to run your business and break down data styles between platforms, your workflow becomes much more efficient. And that extra time lets you focus on increasing engagement and revenue. So our thanks to MailChimp for sponsoring Exponent. Awesome. Yes. So uh, my my wannabe segue is about the big bad monster in tech, uh, which these days is not Microsoft. Not um, Microsoft anymore. Is, is not Microsoft. It is it is our friends down in Menlo Park. It is Facebook. And I wrote a speaking of vacations. I wrote an article this summer. Uh, in I'm looking at it right now is August third, 2016. It will be in the show notes. You should go read it. Mm. It is called the audacity of copying well. And this was about Instagram and when Instagram released Instagram stories, which was basically a direct, could not be more blatant ripoff of Snapchat stories. 
You know, and I, I remember it coming out at the time and kind of having mixed feelings. But if there's one thing that I am impressed about, it is the ability for folks to swallow their pride, recognize that there is a really good idea somewhere else, and to just say, you know what, they're right, and we're not even going to pretend that they're not right. They're completely right, and we are just going to go for it. And that is what Instagram did with Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we, we've talked quite a bit about Snapchat, and you know what's so impressive is the way the company has you know, laddered up into its current position where it found, and this, you know, if you think about it, what, what, what makes Snapchat so interesting and, and compelling and what's the word I'm looking for? Impressive from, from this space is that unlike a lot of the other sort of chat apps that took over the world, the vast majority of those chat apps were displacing SMS. Mm -hmm. And in most countries of the world, not not in the U.S., but in most countries of the world, you have to pay for SMS. In the U.S., you only have to pay to receive. And you, um, and, well, most people actually had all-you-can-eat plans where they get basically SMS for free, mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons the U.S. sort of chat and messaging market is relatively behind the rest of the world because the U.S. stuck with SMS for much longer because it was free. And one of the easiest ways – you know, so what makes it so hard with a – any sort of messaging app or any sort of social network is the most important feature of any social network is whether your friends are there or not, mm -hmm. right? A service could have the best possible app. It could be the best possible features, all these sorts of things. And if your friend's out there, it's basically worthless. What was the, What is the name of the, the, the law or the theory that describes the value of any network is basically a function of the number of people that are on it? it Metcalf's law that states that the value of a telecommunications network is proportional to the square of the number of connected users of the system. Right. And that is, is so when it comes to any kind of communication, like this is fundamental. You can have the most fancy system, well thought through system in the world, but if nobody adopts it, it is absolutely useless. Right. And Metcalf's Law was, was this huge thing that in tech, around the dot-com era, where people were basing like massive valuations on it and all this value, like doing valuations based on like the square, like the number of nodes <laughs> and stuff like that. And, you know, people realized that that was kind of overstating it for like, there was a, you might get some aspect of that, but very few networks actually, you know, were, were that valuable. Probably though, the one exception is Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. Like, or, or social networks in general. Like it really is directly tied to the number of users and the value is ties, you know, tracks that very, very closely. And the reason why it's important to understand this SMS angle and chat apps is to, for a social network to become viable, your whole network has to go onto it or some critical mass has mm. to move onto it in a very short period of time, right? I would say that is exactly one of the big differences between V1 and V2 of the internet, how people got a lot more clever about trying to chunk down the problem. And instead of trying to, V1 of the internet was like, let's try and like chew up the entire country of the United States or even the entire planet at once. Whereas you look at the way that Facebook spread and then subsequent subsequent apps uh, that relied on Metcalf's law, like Tinder, for example, spread where they went uh, small geographic networks hit by hit. And Facebook, for example, would take campus by campus, which made the problem that much more manageable. Oh, that, no, that, that, that's a great point, right? Because yeah, you want to move it. You want to move the whole thing all at, all at once. And, mm. and it, what made, and what made the chat app thing so 
viable when it happened was the price thing, right? Because so anytime you move to a new service, just take an individual. If, if I want you, James Allworth, to use a new app, right? That's kind of a pain in the rear end because you have to stop. I mean, even if it's a better one, the learning curve to, mm. to, to use it and to transfer over and to get a ha- new habits and all those sorts of things, there is a cost to change. There's always a cost to change. And the benefit the delta of improvement has to not even not be a little bit better than the cost of change. It has to be vastly better because as humans, we have the tendency we overvalue sort of like the short-term pain, right? Mm. As opposed to maybe the long-term benefit. And this mm-hmm. is why this is a lot reason why selling to consumers is often very different than selling to businesses, for example. Businesses will be much more rational about costing out like or the both the long-term costs and benefits. That's why like we talk about enterprise software, that's why they would do they would buy into these long, expensive, difficult like pro- Oracle projects or SAP projects, whatever it might be, knowing they might fail and would take years to do, but because they were calculating a 20-year payoff, a 30-year payoff, right? Mm-hmm. And you it, it's a lot easier to do when that's like your job. <laughs> you know what I mean? But when it comes to your day-to-day life in your free time, like, like no one just, no one thinks that way. Just like let me talk to my friends. Don't make me go through a change management process and <laughs> Right. Exactly. I, I don't, I don't want to have to hire Accenture to give Ben a call in Taiwan. Right, exactly. I mean we, there's entire industries devoted to like helping organizations <laughs> through change, right? Like because it sucks. <laughs> so so the the issue in consumer markets is it's re, it's incredibly hard to get people to change. You have to have a massive a massive improvement, that delta of improvement has to be huge to overcome this sort of the pain of, of, of change. And what may, the reason why this SMS point is so critical to understand the spread of messaging networks is if you had to pay for every message and now it was free, that delta of improvement was massive. It was really easy to communicate. You just go to your friend and say, look, we could talk and not have to pay every time. Right, it was easily understandable. It's one of the most easiest to understand marketing messages ever, and that's why WhatsApp and WeChat and all these things swept the world in a, really a matter of like a year because that delta of improvement was so large and easily understandable and easy to grok for large swaths of people all at the same time. You know, SMS persisted in the U.S. I think much longer than anywhere else, and this is why, right? Because SMS has its limitations, all sorts of stuff you can't do with it. Mm. And the other thing too in the U.S. we're in a little bit of a rat hole, but I mean, the way that Apple layered iMessage on oh, top of so SMS, smart. It, it, it was so smart, but it also really sort of retarded the market for messaging apps because it it decreased that delta of improvement. Or or eliminated it entirely in 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 many respects. So yeah, that's one reason why the U.S. the messaging market has always been much different than the rest of the world. But I really think that SMS price thing is is super yeah. key. Is really key to understand. Well, the other thing, just as a as an aside, I mean, this is <laughs> this is why I get a little <laughs> I get a little frustrated with some of the rhetoric that that less so these days, but it used to come out of like WhatsApp and their leadership, pretending like they were the, the app was well done, the service was well done. Yes, a small small team built this great thing. Like all all the things that have been applauded should be applauded. But there was a massive dose of right place, right time. Right? They had an app that worked on all kinds of devices to their credit and and as these devices were sort of coming online and the data networks are coming online, they took advantage of the fact that it because what is what was I mean, WhatsApp has added features since then, but especially when it started, all it was was SMS for free, right? That was its selling point. And 
to their credit, they took advantage of that opportunity. But let's be clear, like the reason why it succeeded was not because it was it was simple and polished and beautiful and and all these sorts of rhetoric that we hear. It succeeded because it was free and SMS cost money. Yeah. I, I mean, not to underestimate right place, right time, like picking the the right market and getting the timing right. If there's <laughs> there's one thing that I didn't realize about Silicon Valley until I got inside of it is that getting those things right will forgive a complete litany of sins. And if you can get those, I mean, you think about introducing the Newton and a lot of those ideas that were precursors to the, to the iPhone, but way too early, like it, it, getting the timing right on something like this is, is as if not more important than getting the fundamental features that you then embed in the product right. And they nailed it around timing. Whether that was intentional or not is another thing. Oh, no, I mean, again, I don't, I don't mean to take away credit, I, but I just want, yeah, you're right. It was, it's circumstances matter hugely. Mm. And that is not at all a criticism. It's just like a reality. Yeah, it's the reality for all kinds of products, including many of the most innovative and, and brilliant ones. And, and the thing for the internet too, right? Like people say, you know, all so many startups today are basically doing the same ideas that were in the dot com bubble, right? Just the, the timing was wrong then. Didn't mean mm. necessarily the idea was right. bad, you know? Yep. So anyhow, escaping from our rat hole. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was a that, that was quite the rat hole. <laughs> so what's so impressive about Snapchat is they succeeded like the hard way, right? I mean, even like Facebook, Facebook wasn't replacing SMS per se, but it 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 digitized offline relationships, right? That's what made Facebook so mm. impressive. Right. Whereas in, in all these chat apps really replaced SMS and they were free compared to costing money. Again, not taking credit away from anyone, just pointing out that what went into those success, decreasing that delta uh, or increasing that delta of improvement and decreasing the pain of change is, is critical to adoption. Snapchat did it the hard way. They entered a world where Facebook was dominant, where people had free free SMS or were adopting, increasingly adopted chat apps or had Apple iMessage or whatever it might be. And they built a social network in that environment, which is which by building a product that far exceeded that that Delta improvement was so huge. And we've talked. What are you laughing about? Well, I I don't. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because like I just want to check that we're not playing a little bit of revisionist history because the cynic in me is saying that actually it was a version of uh, and again maybe I'm being the 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 thirty something going on sixty something here. But didn't this start as a replacement for text when people wanted to send nude pictures of themselves to other people but didn't want those images to then float around the internet? Maybe. (laughs) <laughs> but like that, but who cares like that it was something that was new and uh, and uh true no no doubt <laughs> and that that is the hard way but it it wasn't i mean so i think it's easy for people in tech uh, to jump to the end state and imagine the way that things should be. And uh, a little bit of this whole creating a social network is definitely what they've managed to build. But I think it's it's of the utmost importance 
to and when you're building a product it's almost the most important thing to think about the land rather than where you head to when you expand because the land is what enables you to expand and even though i i am slightly i'm slightly joking and i'm slightly mocking when i say they landed around that the insight around them creating an application with self-destructing text messages like that was a pretty keen insight and i only raise it because now they've built out this phenomenal social network that is in a position where it is mentioned in the same breath as Facebook and Instagram, and we're comparing it to them right now. But they started with this very narrow wedge with a really good insight around people's, particularly young people's behavior around how they were engaging as a result of the internet and what their fears were and created something on the basis of that. Right. You're No, you're exactly right to go back to it because yeah that that's if you figure out how it happened and that's why i've talked about like the ladder up strategy right yeah by definition that means you're at a place that's different from the place that you started Mm -hmm. and and i think we we, i believe we did do a podcast about you know facebook had this soft underbelly right because facebook really pushed you to to put your best possible representation of yourself online right Mm -hmm. facebook is the digital representation of everyone which is what makes it so valuable but the implication of that is yeah people want to put their best possible self up and especially when snapchat started this is when people this is when this was really taking root at facebook when yeah the pictures you know people oh the stories are going on people rejected from colleges because of facebook posts or lose mm. a job because of whatever or you know these sorts of things and it was it was a big thing in the culture that facebook is dangerous if you don't take care and curate what you put online mm. and it created this really this underbelly again and this wasn't really Facebook's fault. And I don't think – and it's easy – the other revisionist history is for a – like Facebook to like blame themselves or say sort of – like no, their advantage, what made them so powerful, so valuable was in making it a curated experience. It wasn't hmm. MySpace blobbing stuff all over right. or whatever. It was you. It was your identity. It was your real name. All these things accrue to Facebook's benefit, but everything is a trade-off. And Snapchat managed to find what was the trade-off that Facebook was making and deliver a product there that Facebook was – they could not match. I, I totally agree. The initial version of Snapchat and that core mechanic, Facebook could not respond to and they should not have responded to. Right? It's easy to look back and say, oh, Facebook should have nipped Snapchat in the bud. They couldn't because to nip Snapchat in the bud would have meant to undermine what Facebook itself was all about and what made it valuable. I, I think you're spot on there. That, uh, and it would have been a very big th- uh, risk for Facebook to respond. And it's not like they haven't done it, this. No, it, it, would have been, it would have been actively value destructive, right? Right. But it's not like they haven't done this before. Like you, you see Twitter's associated with this is the place where smart people go to talk about the big issues. And then the next thing you know, Facebook puts the trending news up there. And we all know how that played out in terms of value destruction for Facebook. So it's not that they're above diving down and like their instinct is to go for competitors. They're the big dragon, right? And they've done it once before. It is impressive, like you just said, the way that they actually resisted responding straight away. But Well, I don't know. I mean, because they, well, what they did is they released all these like Snapchat clones, right? They did uh. separate apps that tried to do what Snapchat did. But the problem is they were now like the, by doing separate apps, they were like, what advantage did they did did they have? 
Well, they didn't have any, yeah, none, but they also didn't risk the core app, which is the thing that I would have, like, if you really wanted to really go after it, like, that's where you'd have put all that stuff. And at that point, that's when you are risking the core franchise that you have. Right, exactly. But the problem, or the problem, uh, so what happened was in the meantime, and this is sort of the Snapchat's latter point, is Snapchat was it started that where they started was a very sort of safe place because it was the opposite of Facebook in some respects and brilliant insight and all those sorts of things and right time, right place, all, all the things that go into a successful product. And then they sort of started to expand, right? And their expansion, they expanded into stories, they expanded into, into discovery, they expanded into all these sorts of things. And what, what's interesting is parts of that expansion, like take Discovery, for example, this is probably the easiest one to look at where you have like professional news organizations or professional content organizations putting, you know, having their, their own thing. That That is, that would work on Facebook, right? And then, and the stories was using that personal content. They still disappeared after 24 hours, but it was more of a broadcast model, right? It wasn't this one-to-one chat where you're keeping stuff secret. It was a, you're showing it to whoever cares to look. And, in the process of Snapchat making itself more valuable and making itself more compelling and more uh, easier for more and more people to use it because it has more and more interesting stuff, even if you're a new user and your network's not there, which all that stuff did, it also started to get features that were more approachable from a sort of Facebook perspective. I think Facebook could see the writing on the wall. And I think, like, especially given where they started, especially given the reputation they had as, like, the teenage sexting app, their ability and the speed with which they evolved out of that, like, far corner of the chessboard and found themselves all over it was just super impressive. Right. And, and Facebook, I mean, Facebook could see the threat, right? And, mm. and so they, like I mentioned, they did all these, they did all these clones and third party apps and, and, and whatnot. But the, you know, at the end of the day, like they, they were putting themselves in the position that their own challengers were usually in. Like Facebook had this established, this established, section of the chessboard for lack of a better word and facebook tried to do these little landing expeditions that just got smushed <laughs> because there, there was no fundamental insight for those apps well, not like snapchat has snapchat had this really fundamental insight about this this part of human relationships that facebook was not serving and facebook didn't didn't they didn't have any insight they were just trying to cop, copy them right and this is the you know, I mentioned the article that we're kind of getting back to is the audacity of copying well. This was more like the, you know, patheticness of copying poorly, right? It, I mean, it was basically just ripping off the app and throwing it out there and risking nothing. It is um – it's remarkable to think how so often we view these tech giants as completely unassailable. And it's crazy how this little, this little startup that identified, uh, identified this, this opening in the market around something that people really dismissed as a toy used it as a landing point to then really take some serious territory. And it, they, they kind of overlapped. With another application in terms of like, if Facebook is this very curated experience, there's another application in that's now in the Facebook stable, which kind of started in the same place, which is obviously Instagram. And it used to be the case that they would just, uh, people would take photos and throw them up there and, and the filters were, were like made it look better very easily for amateur photographers. I mean, their, their own ladder strategy, right? Because right. The, the filters gave you a reason to use the app without there being a network. And then once more people 
people use the app because originally you used Instagram to post to Facebook or post to Twitter, right? Right. But it, it, the the social network came second because you can't just launch a social network. You need to have a reason to use the app to start out with. And so, yeah, Instagram had its own sort of ladder up strategy into being a network. But as it became more and more popular and the brand started to arrive and the serious photographers recognized, actually, this looks like it's quickly becoming the application for photographs, the quality of the content started to improve and then the pressure on the users started to happen. It's like, oh, hang on, look at all these fantastic photos that are being posted. And if my photo doesn't feel like a great photo, I'm not going to post it. The, the number of posts started to go down on Instagram as people started posting less and curating more. And it started to trend in the same direction that its parent was, which was if it's not this very curated, maybe not p- perfectly correlated with this curated version of my life, but at least a very high quality photo that I'm proud of, I, I shouldn't post it. Yeah, you're right. Fa- Instagram was trending to be like Facebook, and it was a threat to Facebook, and so Facebook snapped them up. And so Facebook had two now had two apps that kind of cornered the market. If you just want to do just the, you know, a lot of people who are on Instagram aren't on Facebook. Like if people who are really dislike Facebook tend to really like Instagram. Even but at the, its very core, you're right. They were not that dissimilar if you really sort of back into the sort of like need they were serving for their networks. Well, that's what I think was just so impressive about like the decision that Instagram made to flat out copy and copy well what Snapchat was doing because it was almost a recognition of, hey, let's go back to our roots. Let's create something that's a little bit more ephemeral where people can feel comfortable sharing. But you know what the big advantage we have over Snapchat is? We have these massive network effects like Metcalf's Law is kicked in for us because we have so many users and we might be able able to head this threat off at the pass. Right. And so and so this really gets to the the point of this article, which is if you're going to copy and copying is not like from a it feels icky, yeah. but from a strategic standpoint, it is can be very brilliant, but the because the the important thing to understand and you just kind of hinted at it is that the especially when you look at consumer apps or just apps just as a general sort of layperson when you look at these sort of things it's very easy to focus on the headline features mm. to focus on like the this the beautiful like take phones for example right oh the rounded rectangle it's touch it's a button da, 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 da. and so you had a situation where you know you go back to when the iPhone came out and as much as people particularly apple fans detest like android for example Android started out as a BlackBerry clone, mm. and the moment the iPhone came out, it pivoted completely to being an iPhone clone. And yes, I know people complain about the timing, blah, 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 blah. but the, the, the point of the matter is once Apple showed the way it was supposed to be done, they didn't like get precious about it. And the exact example of a company that did was Microsoft, right? Instead of saying, oh, Apple has defined the paradigm. And when the initial... When the initial winner comes along, they do two things. One, if they succeed, they probably got a lot right. Mm. And two, the stuff they didn't get right, it doesn't matter because they've now set the standard. You know what I mean? Like maybe in the long run, having a bunch of icons on a screen, you have to scroll through a bunch of screens, isn't the ideal sort of like home, you know, launch, launcher or whatever. But that's the way it is. And that's what people expect it, ex- expect it to be going forward, right? And, you know, I think it's to Android's, again, from like a business strategic perspective, it's to Android's credit that it was a lot like the iPhone, and it's to Windows' discredit that Windows Phone was not. 
you know, it's, I'm sorry, but you don't feed your family on Apple bloggers saying if I couldn't use an iPhone, I would use a Windows phone because they're not buy, they're not going to not buy they're not going to buy a Windows phone, right? You you have to actually succeed in the market, and the same thing goes with Samsung, right? The yeah. I mean, Nokia just you, you have to understand what you're you have to understand why you win. You have to understand what your advantages are. And Nokia's advantage was we talked. I think did we just talked about this a couple weeks ago. I feel like we might have. Yeah, we did. Okay, sorry, I'm repeating myself, but Nokia's advantage was in distribution and manufacturing. They were better at both than anyone. And you can win by being better at those things. You don't have to win by differentiated end user facing features. That's how Apple wins, but it's not the only way to win. And Samsung comes along, and yes, again, I can get the sort of moral outrage about copying or whatnot. And again, I'm this is we're not that's fine. I'm not going to argue with you about it in either direction. I'm just saying as with my business analyst hat on, you look at what they did. Samsung, what was Samsung's advantages? It was distribution and manufacturing. And what was their disadvantage? Competing with like the user interface or design, right? So take the parts that you're not good at, commoditize them, <laughs> make that so all phones are like that. All phones work that sort of way. And Samsung and Android's kind of jointly. And then Put yourself in a position so what you're good at becomes a determinant factor, and that's exactly what Samsung did. And they took over the entire Android market by leveraging their manufacturing prowess and their distribution advantage. And Nokia, meanwhile, had those things, and they all withered away because they didn't have a competitive product. Nokia tried to compete. They got lost in their head, and they tried to compete on things they weren't even good at. I think you are spot on, but I think what what that and I, and you mentioned the the morals of copying, and I think there's just this element that you need to recognize in tech and Silicon Valley culture around the uh, the that that it is like quote unquote bad to do this. And I remember it was it was in the general. Uh, the the general zeitgeist around the Apple Microsoft thing way back when with the operating system. Yeah, Microsoft won, but they copied Apple. And it was always, yeah, they made the money, but they weren't the artists. They weren't the creative ones. And uh, it, it, you see it played out time and time again with the iPhone, the the moral indignation that, uh, that uh, Apple had, Steve Jobs had towards Schmidt when Google copied Android. And I... I would say that it is impressive whether it's Samsung, whether it's Microsoft, or whether it's Instagram now, that these guys actually would swallow their pride and go and do it and get over the like the not invented here thing and do exactly what you say. Because ultimately, I think two things. One, if you don't, you lose. But the second thing is the way that these organizations copy each other creates a competitive market for tech. And it's part of the reason why this is such a fantastic blossoming ecosystem because people see great ideas and there there are no holy cows. Like if someone gets something right, take it and then go and build on it and do it better. Don't like, oh, you know, we're going to leave it there. And you, you look at the phone market now worldwide. We are in a much better position because... Android and Samsung did exactly what you describe. I, I, I know we, we get into this tech and society, like that's part of the show. And I have a very strong opinion around this, that it, that the way that society benefits is from this incessant competition in the market, as opposed to this, ah, I invented this. Nobody should be able to touch my idea. 
Oh, for sure. And maybe in part because our background is coming from the business perspective. I mean, the business is everyone is copying everyone, right? Like right. the very idea of best practices is you yeah. figure out who has figured out a problem and then you do it that way. Oh, I was just it reaches back to Apple almost killing themselves around the not invented here syndrome. Like this company that everybody looked up to, all techies in particular, but everyone around the world. And they had this not invented here. If we didn't do it, it's not going to be good enough. So we have to go it alone on all these things. And they're ending up creating proprietary stuff and you hemorrhage as a result of it because you can't be the best at everything. It's just not possible. Oh, for sure. And like Apple's like stuff is standard up and down the stack, except now for like they, right, they find these, these narrow areas in the software and, and final product integration where they differentiate. But yeah, like the actual parts of the phone or the parts of a computer, like a, 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 an Apple computer, a PC is basically from a it's no different than than a, it's right. all standard stuff, right? And that's to the company's benefit. You want you want everything that you're not go- the best at to be standards, so that everyone's competing and driving the price down to zero and driving up the quality. For, we talked about this a, a few weeks ago in the context of Windows, right? That's what you want, and you want your narrow differentiation area to be different. And the thing is, because of the the effects of the internet and the way things like the payoff from being first is so massive that. You know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Like, it turned out fair. Apple makes still makes all the money in the smartphone market because mm. they were first and they invented it, right? And it, yeah, so yeah, we're I, I, we're, the, we're we're on the same page. We're arguing with our listeners that we know are getting really mad right now. Yeah, yeah, but they're not true. here to respond, so I'm not I'm, sure how fruitful it's going to be. Well, we'll see. We'll probably get the emails. But I actually think this is one of the brilliant things about what Jobs did because the second time he came back, I he he became aware of exactly what you said. Focus on the things that you're good at and like everything else, like we'll move to standard commodity parts from Intel chips to all this. Everything became very much stock standard, but he focused on the thing that they were differentiated on, which was this experience. And then he made it and he, the way he talked about it and thought about it in the market was such that this thing that we do that's special, you can't copy that or you're a bad guy. And that was the, that was the approach he took with everything. And it kind of gave them a little bit more space than if you're, if you're Samsung and you're differentiated on distribution or whatever, no one says, Oh, you can't copy my distribution channels, but you're Apple. You can't can't just copy my icons you can't just and you're a copycat like isn't that terrible and so on and so forth i think that was actually a very smart move because it added a element of morals to like a business fight that gave apple a little bit more space than they'd otherwise have if it was just open day on everybody copying everybody well maybe i mean i, I think it, it i think it paralyzed apple a little bit too not a paralyzed but it was a big distraction like it was maybe uh, yeah yeah, we, we could we could we could debate yeah, this one totally. for ages. This is a huge rat hole. But the the analogy to Instagram is is and Instagram and Snapchat is so Facebook was piddling around like doing the the <laughs> upright thing, like releasing their own new apps that would compete with Snapchat. And at the end of the day, what is Facebook's advantage? What is the thing that that is unique to them they don't have? Or in the case of of Instagram, it was their five hundred million users, mm-hmm. right? Like that is that's like. That's the equivalent of Samsung having distribution to every carrier and mom and pop shop all over the world, or Nokia and originally. By the way, Samsung first copied Nokia. So if you really want to get mad at Samsung for copying, like that, 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 you yeah. can start there. So what did Instagram have that was really unique? They had 
they had the 500 million users. They had the network. And again, that's not how Instagram started. Instagram started with the filters and they levered up to it. Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing. In, you saw about Snapchat. You don't meet Snapchat by attacking Snapchat's initial insight. You know what I mean? Like Snapchat has since expanded. And maybe the original insight that, Snap, that drove Snapchat in these, these uh, disappearing messages, one-on-one messages, that that wasn't the place for Facebook to attack. But as Snapchat expanded, they moved into territories where it was now more viable for Facebook and Instagram to meet them head on, right? And you get into a new battlefield, like you said, like strategy, right? You're in a battlefield and Instagram can bring to bear their biggest advantage, which is they already had a network. And then they just peel away one of the, the features of Snapchat and they do it really well. Like Snapchat, Instagram's always had fantastic engineering. Their stories implementation was really well, was mm-hmm. really well done, really easy to use. Uh, I, I mean, Instagram is a, at least from a technical perspective for me, and this may be because I'm in Taiwan, I don't know. It takes me 10 seconds for Snapchat to actually something to load and, and get using. Instagram is boom, it's instant. So they, they, they did it really well. They leveraged their network. And now, it's it's a it's an unfair fight, but it's in the opposite direction because you're bringing to bear something that I I think you're spot on. Like having all those users, and it's this is like I mean we're comparing it to Samsung and having its distribution advantage. You when it when it comes to apps and software, having all those users isn't like having customers as a mobile phone. It's having them open the app on a regular basis, being used to the interface, and you're hearing about this. You're feeling this need that that Snap chat's uncovering and more and more people are talking about and if if one of the apps that you're not using doesn't fill that need then you'll go look elsewhere but if an app that you're used to uh that you're used to opening that has a clear interface unlike snapchats like and it, it introduces this feature that enables you to do exactly what you want with all the people that you're used to interacting with on instagram you're just going to take it and in the same way that snapchats in the bottom left diagonal pushing up uh instagrams in this top right diagonal with this big this big product and this massive user base and it's pushing down and it's bringing all its users to bear and i think you're right if you if you if you implement it well and clearly and you're able to meet the same need given where instagram started versus facebook which was just like let's just post things it's not a big deal whereas facebook is clearly not the right approach taking it from there with this very curated version of self they picked on exactly they like the, the the way the facebook galaxy responded in terms of picking the right app implementing it well and bringing that user base to bear is like a plus strategy in terms of how to respond to a threat like this exactly and the other thing that that instagram did that i think it took facebook this is sort of the maybe the humility part is you know facebook wanted to eliminate snapchat they wanted to get back all of snapchat's users what was implied in this move with Instagram was, yes, maybe we will get some users back on Snapchat. But I think the first and foremost is about we're going to stop people from switching. Mm. Be- because what they did by adding the stories, by adding the sort of broadcast and story, you know, the name is appropriate, to Instagram, they decreased that delta between switching from Instagram or Facebook to Snapchat. And the cost, the pain of switching remained the same. If anything, the pain increased because now that that delta shift happened for everyone simultaneously because you know they controlled the app. And so now 
are you really going to switch to Snapchat and refine friends or find a new network and all these sorts of things? Well, that it's going to be much less likely. And one other point that I think is really important to note about this is kind of lessons to draw is when Facebook was doing all those third apps, those, those additional apps to take on Snapchat, the reason they didn't succeed is they weren't risking anything, right? You have to risk something to get something. And it was a risk to do Instagram stories, not just because they were the pride thing, but because users might have rejected it, right? They, what if people really got turned off by it and actually accelerated them going from Instagram to Snapchat? It could have been a disaster, they were messing with one of their most valuable properties, probably the biggest source of future growth, at least in the short term, going going forward. And but that's necessary if you want to succeed. You have to risk something. You don't get you don't get these big moves for free. You know, as you, I mean, you're obviously spot on. I, this this risk reward, nothing ventured, nothing gained, is an excellent point. I mean, I think this is why your article is going to stand the test of time so well, just because they swallowed their pride at it. And it's hard. Like, uh, Systrom was answering, everyone was saying, oh, look, like they are literally just copying what someone else is doing. And he's like, I mean, from a pride perspective around for a guy who's like renowned as a product and design guy who's built his reputation in this company on that basis to just swallow that pride and come out with something. Yep, that's exactly what he did. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, I'm just going to launch it. And you know what? He's right. Because in the end, what people remember in the long run is who won and who lost. And if you're one of these users who's in Instagram thinking about, well, I see this need and I feel it and I I, like I see Snapchat coming along and this is clearly going to be the network of the future. Maybe I should start more and more people are using it. Maybe I should start using that. That goes away because all those people who are on Instagram, like I'm just going to stay and exist with all the uh, interact with all the people that I'm here. And then it arrests the momentum. And then like the growth of these networks and the momentum is so critical. Like if that's one thing that we've learned from looking at what's happened with Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter, like once you stall in terms of user growth momentum, you are in serious trouble. And that's what the Facebook empire managed to do to this upstart threat. And anecdotally, at least, and you you mentioned some, you referenced some evidence to suggest this in your uh, daily articles this week. It looks like Instagram's actually managed to arrest Snapchat's growth. Not just that, but Instagram's growth has accelerated. Right, like Instagram's growth rate this last six months was the was the fastest of, of the company in of, of the company's history. That's like it, it's incredible, and, and yeah, I think there's some really like important lessons to learn from learn from this. Right, the, the instinctual thing and what we claim to want as as consumers and observers of the space is we want them to win on features by being different. Right, mm. so the second one comes along. Oh, you should do it. You should do it differently, and that's how you should win. Yeah, that's how the first one win won. Right, but the again. The first one won for a reason, right? The, the, so one, that's already – and two, like that's established in customer mindsets. Like So to ask a, a, a customer to not only change their habits but also like ch- like not just change the hassle of a new network. Think about the world app, differently. Yeah, but also to change like the features that they already demonstrated they like because they started using it. It's like if you back up and look at it, it's silly. They, you're, you've been saying it the whole time. The only reason to do it is pride to like, so you can pat yourself on the back and get the plaudits of like Apple bloggers saying like, oh, 
isn't look, they did something innovative. They did something innovative and they went to the grave. <laughs> I mean, that, which is what happened with Nokia and, and the Windows Phone. I, I'm remembering this quote that I'm going to butcher from Ari from um oh man what's it what's it what's that TV show called Entourage um, Entourage where he's like there's no asterisks on the scoreboard you know like oh it was a good attempt or oh right, it was innovative. exactly I'm not going to do the full quote because it's not fit for public consumption on a show like this but it's basically like there is a scoreboard and you win or you lose and nobody nobody remembers the little asterisks beside the loser you got to get out there and you got to win and it's it's true in that business it's true in this business as well right and then the second and there's part two right is part two is what do you have what what is your differentiator and then that's what you focus all your attention on is leveraging that right don't don't copy the other stuff but yeah. do it in a way that leverages what you, what you're good at i mean the most famous example is is microsoft and yep. and the internet and the browsers right they adopted web standards and then they evolved <laughs> they're like what, what, is, what is the phrase embrace uh, and extend embrace extend extinguish right oh and, i didn't i forgot about that you know i think those words are verboten at microsoft now because of all the antitrust <laughs> stuff but but from a strategic perspective it's exactly what what you should and that's exactly what Instagram did here. They embraced this story format, which again wasn't where Snapchat started, but it really was the 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 really powerful thing about Snapchat and was really driving growth is this the stories. They embraced it. How are they extending it? They're extending it with their network, right? All the one all the people who are on Instagram, Instagram was first and they already had a big network and they were already in that sort of population that snapchat wanted to be in and in the long run you can bet your bottom dollar mark zuckerberg like nothing more than to extinguish snapchat are they going to extinguish them no it's a little bit different sort of terrain but it certainly is starting to seem there's anecdotes in in survey data and things like that that they've they've definitely slowed them down yeah, I mean, they have slowed them down. I, I think they, I mean, I think the goal was to extinguish. I, I think well, of Instagram, course it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they, they went so far as to even try introducing expiring messages to individuals on Instagram. Just oh, like they, they, no, they, Yeah, they're there. They, they, a couple of months ago. It, it's still there. I think they. This is an instance where they've probably gone further than they probably needed to, because that is still rooted heavily in people's minds around Snapchat. Whereas that they they uh, when that job arises in people's lives, they will like, okay, this is what Snapchat is for. Whereas it the, the job of like telling the story and posting this kind of ephemeral content hadn't been locked down for Snapchat, and Instagram had this inherent advantage around the size of the network and i think they're going to they're going to win in terms of stories um just by virtue of the size and the arresting of the momentum and snapchat may end up needing to find some other way to keep growing and what will be interesting is to see now how they respond to this and whether there isn't another another uh flank that they can approach from a product perspective that keeps their users engaged that offers them something that they can't get anywhere else and then whether Instagram attempts to copy that too. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's the well. I think there's a few questions for Snapchat. One, did they get a a large enough audience and a dominant enough hold on a very attractive segment? I mean, Twitter's like Twitter certainly ran into this problem. And again, I think this is uh, Twitter also was a unique in that they Twitter built their network from scratch, basically, right? Mm. Where yep. and that made it so much harder and made in many respects the company's success, such as it was, that much more impressive. Uh, we've 
litigated endlessly Twitter's many problems and <laughs> failures, you know, failures to sort of capitalize on that. But the other thing is like Twitter's network is very sort of disparate and, and spread out, right? Whereas Snapchat's at least anecdotally is very concentrated in this sort of mm. young people, you know, high school, college age sort of sort of thing. And so it, if they have a really a dominant hold on that and they can leverage that into being very high end as far as like an advertising, really focusing on this sort of display sort of, or not display, um, brand, brand advertising, they may have a viable business here. But yeah, if any social network, the user, the reason why people get so wrapped up on user growth is it like it, it's the ceiling. And if you think about, especially a money losing, you know, sort of startup that's IPOing or, or barely making revenue, it's all about potential growth. It's all about the, mm. the future going forward. And any restriction on user growth is lowering the ceiling. And if you're lowering the ceiling and the potential valuation, like that goes directly to how much your company's worth because people aren't buying you based on your current profits. They're buying you based on the potential for profits going forward. And yeah, so it's a real concern for Snapchat. I mean, like we've talked about the the spectacles and the AR sort of thing where Snapchat's been really innovative. But again, I mean, Facebook's really boxing them into being a feature, not being a a, a, a self-contained entity in and of itself. And it's it's a very yeah, it's it's definitely worth it's definitely concerning. Yeah, and I mean the the IPO is just a point in time, right? And it's easy to lose sight of that. But that being said, it is an important point in time, and it is putting a lot of money in the company's coffers that en- enable it to like look out to the future. And it's also like another part of this momentum play in terms of attracting good talent. And people will hear in the general news how it goes. And if it turns out that Instagram has managed to arrest its growth right at the IPO, which is when the kimono, like the kimono really gets opened at this point the amount of information that has to be shared like there's no way to to hide that information if that's what's happening it may end up having although this ipo is just a point in time it may end up having a long-term impact if the timing of the ipo is such that it comes to market just as instagram's managed to head them off on one of their big product pushes it will be there will be longer term ramifications for the company as a result yeah, which is overcomable. I mean, you could argue yes, that's what mobile yes. did to Facebook, right? And it, it kind of like – and Facebook stock yeah. ended up being way down, you know, after mm-hmm. – but obviously that that turned out okay. But why did it, why did it turn okay? Why, why, why was Facebook – why was Facebook ultimately okay and, and was really okay all along? Because they had the network, right? They always had the network. And that is the most powerful and irreplaceable feature – of anything social related. It matters more than anything. It matters more than than your features. It matters more than your spectacles. It matters more than your stories. It matters than your format. It is the number one feature of any social network. And Facebook always had that. And Instagram has always had that advantage over Snapchat. And once they, to your point, once they swallow their pride and leverage that, and they leverage that by Again, we talk about the phrase "commoditize your compliments," right? Mm. Instagram commoditized stories in all intents and purposes. They made it into a thing that everybody had, and once they made it into a thing that everybody had, that meant other things became more important. And the network, and the, the network is is the network is undefeated. You are spot on, and 
again, it's like that swallowing the pride point. And there was a <laughs> there was a tweet that went something along the lines of that I saw today. Evan Spiegel is Facebook's head of product, and you have to wear little barbs like that. But in the long run, you like again, like pride isn't on the scoreboard. It's just who ultimately ends up winning. And the way that Facebook and Instagram have executed themselves around this has been mightily impressive. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like it's business, right? This isn't a, a, a morality play, and it, it's not to say that morals don't matter in business; they do. And I, if you, I mean, this is, I guess, anyone someone has to determine for themselves is copying a feature bad morals. I personally don't think so. I just as I don't think like copying best practices when it comes to an assembly line is 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 bad. I think this is competition. Yeah, and I agree. I think that's a really important point too. We're not we're not advocating for immorality or amorality. It's like there are clear rules, but when it comes to this, this is the way you learn from people. Like that's what it's about, and you improve as a result. And I think we're all better off for the fact that people people do do this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this, it's not like cheating or or fraud or tricking people. Like it's very, <laughs> it's the exact opposite. It's very, it's yeah. very straightforward. Like, yep. <laughs> and you, you're right to their credit, they admitted it. But yeah, I I am uh, I'm glad this article. I'm glad we had a podcast about this because again, it was in the summer, so we didn't we didn't do a podcast after this article. But it certainly is looking like yeah, one that that is going to to hold up very well. And yeah. the you know, you look at some other things like the like Microsoft had that Teams thing, right? The 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 the, the sort of Slack competitor. And mm. I to my I, I've used it a little bit and I think they've they it was they focus on features too much. They try to like just their advantage is they have lots of people already using Office 365 who are already paying for it, right? Copy it. Don't overdo it, right? I think they kind of almost overdid it, but I mean, we'll see how it turns out, but I mean, you, this trade-off between established user base and sort of new features and new products and the all the incentives that come from being a startup and having your own incentive structure, all sorts of things, this is the story of sort of technology in many respects. And yeah, and I, in some respects, the the because the moat when it comes to these social networks, it, you can't overstate the power of a network. It, it's it really makes. It really entrenches incumbents in a way. Again, the really only analogy is kind of Microsoft back in the day when packaged software ruled the land because it was so hard to shift any of that, right? The lock-in was just incredible that once you move to the internet and the friction was released enough, then other – anyhow. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. It's funny you Facebook's, mentioned that. The rumors of Facebook's demise may be uh, vastly overrated. Yeah, and and Microsoft's getting soft in its old age because under Bill Gates, there's. I, I'm just thinking, as you said, that if Microsoft had literally cloned Slack and rolled it out as part of a uh, as part of their Office 365 bundle, that would have been seriously. And I mean, uh, like that would have been seriously bad news in so much as it was possible. And maybe that's that's like like that good old dose of what life was like under Gates is exactly what they should have done. Well, I mean, I yeah, I mean, they 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 kind of tried to do that, right? Like, again, Microsoft's never been super great at the user experience, and Slack excels at it. So I don't know yes. if they would ever been ever, ever been as smooth easy to use. But they made it more difficult on themselves by guarding it up with too many features, which makes it that much more difficult to nail the user experience, right? Right. But the other thing to re- to remember, and this is something that's you know another reason to believe in Slack's potential is it's not just about the features; it's also the business model and the the freemium model and and 
the being cloud-based and selling to teams, not necessarily coming in from a top-down perspective, from a CTO perspective. And it's an important reminder that for all the, you know, we talked about sort of the morals of copying features. The reason it doesn't really matter in the end because someone's going to copy your features. There is no sustainable business mm. that's built on features alone. And the iPhone succeeds not because it was innovative on features per se, although I, as I've articulated, you know, I think Apple does have a much more sustainable advantage in user experience than people understand or appreciate, but it would not be the juggernaut that it is without all the other parts, without the manufacturing prowess, without the operations, without the relations and power they have leveraged over carriers by using by using their users and all the things they tie in together. And even today, something like iMessage, like iMessage is a massive lock-in. It's almost impossible if you use iMessage heavily to switch away from an iPhone. And like that's that's good business. It's great business. I remember on this subject, I remember reading uh, an article where Steve Jobs was talking to Dean Kamen about the Segway. And Kamen was like, we've developed this stabilizer that that nobody in the world is going to be able to copy. And Jobs was like dismissive. It's like, there will be some guy in China who will come along, dissemble your product and figure out how to do it. Like you need to do more than just like create, cr- like create that you need to think about the whole thing in order to, to succeed. And I think that is a really, really good point. It's not just enough to have a product feature. It will get you, it will land, but it, if you don't expand, you leave yourself open to being attacked. And that is what's that's what's happened. Yeah, anything that can be copied will be copied. That's just yeah, that's and the should reality be copied too. I agree. I agree. And but I could, even if you disagree with that, I mean, good luck in business. But it doesn't yeah. matter. It's going to ha- happen because not everyone agrees with you. And yeah, sustainable businesses are built on you need that sort of moat, and that moat can spring from all sorts of things. Can it can spring from a distribution advantage? It can spring mm. from a cost advantage. It can spring from a network advantage. And right. The key is, and that's why the ladder up strategy is so key. You start with something, you start with something unique, but you you can't end there. You have to go up the ladder and you have to build out something that is actually defensible. And yeah, you're right. So many people get so focused on that initial rung of the ladder. And if you don't think through and have a plan for where you're going up the ladder, you're going to go, go nowhere. Snake. Come on, you'll go down the snake. There we go. I think we have our show title, Snakes and Ladders. Ooh, not, yes, excellent, excellent. I, we had another good one before. I can't remember what it was, but I think they're Snakes always and pretty was better. Good. Very good. All right. Well, uh, happy Chinese New Year. Happy Chinese New Year to you too and to all our listeners. And our thanks to MailChimp, as always, for sponsoring this week's episode of Exponent. And I will maybe talk to you next week, but uh, it might be a couple of weeks. And so just everyone, everyone is aware. No worries, mate. I'll speak to you then. All right. Bye-bye. See ya.